This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 1st, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The U.S. has lurched toward European-style socialism in recent years, so says Daniel Hannan, member of the European Parliament and author of the new book, The New Road to Serfdom. In it, he offers a warning letter to the United States telling Americans to keep federalism, free markets, and the rule of law intact, or suffer much of the fate of the European Union. We spoke before a forum for the book held Wednesday. We're all interested and engaged in the success of the US. That old chestnut from Tom Paine about the cause of America being the cause of all mankind, and particularly that's true if you're a British conservative. Um, What I see in the US Constitution is the highest encapsulation of British liberties, inherited from us but put on paper here. And those liberties didn't just serve to keep this country strong and free and prosperous. They they drove your fathers to carry the same dream of freedom to other continents. And so when I see the US turning its back on its constitutional inheritance, disregarding the vision of the founders, going down the road towards more centralization, more regulation, higher taxes, federal czars, disregarding of states' rights, reversal of localism... That isn't just your problem, it's everybody's problem, because to the extent that America becomes more like anywhere else, less American, less independent, less free, the world in in its entirety is a poorer place. You talk a lot about the Obama administration and uh, how, as you see it, President Obama is trying to take the United States down the road to European socialism. To what extent did the excesses of the Bush administration give us Barack Obama? It's a very fair question. It was difficult to become enthusiastic about the Bush administration by the end. Um, The Republican Party started doing very well here when it, in the 60s, aligned itself with the people against the elites, when it stopped being a remote, northeastern country club, old money party, and became a popular party, became a party for the ordinary citizen against the the, the standing bureaucracies. And the issue which most defined that success was aligning itself with the decentralization of power, first and most obviously on the issue of busing of, of school children, but then more widely embracing the idea of devolution, of diffusion of power. Now, if you look at what was happening by the end, you see the reversal of those things. You saw a massive uh, extension of the federal budget. You saw the striking down of state laws on issues ranging from same-sex unions to euthanasia. You saw steel tariffs. You saw external protectionism. And in the final uh, months of the administration, you saw uh, bank bailouts and enormous stimulus packages, huge uh, assumption of liabilities by the federal government. Of course, when you do that, you start losing. I mean, you've reversed the things that made the party successful uh, in the latter half of the 20th century. One very obvious effect that uh, the Obama presidency has had is that it has united the Republicans back around what ought to have been their programme all along. Um, Huge numbers of Republican legislators supported the Bush Uh, stimulus rescue package, but unanimously they opposed the Obama one. So um, the Republican Party, if you like, is beginning to rediscover, to its advantage, the popularity of fiscal conservatism and small government. As you say, that process has begun, but certainly has a long way to go to uh, rediscover those principles. The United States, when I was talking about the excesses of the Bush administration, I was specifically referring to uh, the war in Iraq and our ongoing commitments, not just to uh, 
restoring some semblance of stability to Afghanistan, but also allying ourselves explicitly to the fate of the standing government in Afghanistan. Well, again, one of the uh, one of the lessons that your founders tried to write into the foundational documents of the republic is that external colonies are expensive and ungrateful. Uh, I think there is. I mean, they they knew that at first hand, and they tried to teach the lesson to their successors. Um, there's always been a tension uh, between. Um, you know, between, if you like, the American Republic and the American Empire. Now, I'm, I'm not a, a, a pacifist at all. I think that the world has cause to be grateful for an armed and engaged US. And I'm very proud of the fact that our countries together liberated hundreds of millions of people from the evils of fascism and then uh, of communism. Um, but that doesn't mean that you need to be in the business of maintaining costly garrisons everywhere. And one of the reasons that I think the, uh, the, the Republicans were in trouble by the time of the last presidential election, is that people could see that there might be a better use for a trillion dollars than on another uh, expansion of of a foreign war. Given what's now happened, I think it's very difficult for any, even you know, for for, for the, the, the the most powerful supporters of the uh, of the war, not to regret that they hadn't kept that trillion dollars for something else. You talk about the U.S. retreat from federalism, which certainly has accelerated in in recent years, particularly in the Bush and Obama administrations. You know, trying to understand how the United States functions of federal versus states, is there, what do you see as a possibility of getting back to that? First of all, this happens in every country in the world. Um, there isn't a federal country anywhere that doesn't have a centripetal tendency, a tendency for power to shift from the subordinate or provincial authorities to the, to the central ones. And that happens for identifiable reasons. For example, any federal constitution has to be interpreted by some kind of Supreme Court, some kind of uh, federal tribunal. And because its members are appointed at, at the national level, they will tend to have a more centralizing or national outlook than uh, if they came up from the, the provincial level. Um, it's also it's difficult for leaders of central government to deny responsibility. You know, Hurricane Katrina hits, uh, the, the the press are, are baying. What what are you going to do about it? The, much the easiest thing is to do what the then president did and to say, right, well, we're we're going to step in and we're going to rescue people and we're going to ensure that uh, uh, you know we we, um, we we deploy the resources of the of the nation to save people from the catastrophe. It's a much, much harder thing to say, go and talk to the local authorities. This is really not a proper issue for uh, for us to intervene in. And so for all of those reasons, you have this, this tendency. The genius of the people who wrote the US Constitution is that even though they had no first-hand experience of this tendency, they still tried to build in safeguards against it. They could see that it was likely to come and so they they deliberately vested supreme power in the in the states and that system worked incredibly well until the 20th century and although as you as you say there has been a a big shift over the last 100 years i mean you said under under um bush and obama which is true but i mean nothing compared to what happened under roosevelt um even with all of that the most striking thing when you look at this country from the perspective of a foreigner, is how 
successfully the founders model has held. I mean, in, in many ways, an individual state of the US is more sovereign than a, a member nation within the European Union. You know, Delaware can still decide whether or not to have the death penalty. It can still control its, its corporation and indirect tax rates. You know, France and Britain can't do that. And so with all of its problems, it has been a, a pretty successful model and it has served to keep the country wealthy. A really, really striking thing. If you look at who are the wealthiest citizens in the world, which are the most successful economies, they're almost all the, the, the tiny microstates, the, the Switzerland's, the Liechtenstein's, the Brunei's, the Channel Islands. The first big exception, the, the first big country into the, into the league is the US. Why? Because it has pulled off this extraordinary feat of governing itself like a confederation of statelets. And that's the secret of your, of your wealth. Daniel Hannon is a member of the European Parliament and author of the book The New Road to Serfdom. You can read more on limited government, federalism, and free markets at Cato.org.